Look at the person next to you and say, Jumbo. Oh, that was terrible. Look at the person next to you and say, Jumbo. So you just spoke a bit of Swahili. In Swahili, where we were in Kenya, that means, how are you? Now, the answer to that question is always the same. The answer is, I am fine, but the word is much easier. The word, I am fine, in Swahili is Missouri. Believe it or not, they kept saying to me, I, I knew Jumbo. I was like, Jumbo, Jumbo. They all say Missouri. And I was like, yes. Hey, how did you know? Um, but that, that means, so look at someone and say Missouri. M-Z-U-R-I. Missouri. So look at someone and say Jumbo. Now answer in Missouri. So you know a little bit of Swahili now. We are so glad to be back from Kenya. I, we actually got home about 7 o'clock last night. We landed at 5.30 and got to our houses, most of us. By the time we collected our bags with some whose bags did not make it all the way from Chicago, but we just had an incredible time. We've brought a few pictures back for you this morning. We'll spend more time next week when we can actually put everything together and have 24 hours to put things together. But we had a group that landed over there um, and just worked their tails off. I think we had a picture the first day we were there and then the last day we were there, we're all kind of sunburnt because we were up in the mountains um, on the equator. Just had a great time. We did some sports clinics over there. We did a soccer clinics um, in one of the orphanages that we worked out. We did a basketball clinic for some of the kids. They'd had basketball uniforms donated but knew nothing about basketball. So we took a half day and taught basketball. We did volleyball. The Kenyan women's team has been the African continent champ for the last few years. So they were really good at volleyball. Uh, but we did a volleyball clinic over there. Uh, one afternoon, we spent time in six different orphanages with more than 300 um, different orphans, um, teaching them Bible stories, playing games with them. A lot of the little ones we, we just kind of held and um, hung out with. Uh, in, in a lot of the villages, um, say the word Mzungu. So we would come and they would call us all Mzungu, Mzungu, Mzungu. And I said, what, what does that mean? And they said, that means white man. Um, uh, many of the villages we were in, we were the first white people they had ever seen um, in their life. And a lot of the witch doctors, um, witchcraft is one of the prominent religions in the area of Kenyan that we were, the witch doctors tell the kids in the villages um, that the white man is kind of like the boogeyman. So that if they're bad, the Mzungu will come and get them because they don't want kids to engage with white missionaries. So the kids are very hesitant to engage with white people because they think, they, they think they're going to hurt them. So uh, a lot of the parents thanked us and said, you're the first white person my kid has ever seen. And they, they would just touch us uh, and they just kind of rub our hands, uh, trying to figure us out. A lot of our women's hair, they just kind of play with it. It was just uh, amazing. We did a women's conference that one of our small group leaders taught, uh, a group of widows and mothers there just reminding them that God loves them. Uh, we began, uh, laid the foundation and began work on a hundred chicken um, chicken coop that our church actually purchased for them. We bought all the supplies um, and the chickens. It literally is a small house. If you can picture it, a hundred chicken, chicken coop. Uh, our men put in about 25 man hours, actual man hours per person uh, working on this thing three days and got it ready for them to get the rest of the way up. Um, it, it was just absolutely incredible. And I really pray, this is the seventh kind of major mission trip our church has done, by far the best. I hope over the next decade, all of you can figure out a way to go to Africa with us because it was life-changing. I think way more so for us that went than even for the people that we ministered to. But I'm excited to be back today. I'm excited um, to be back in this series, uh, Real Jesus. This series has been transformational in our church, more so than any other Bible teaching series that we've ever done. We've had 24 people in the last four weeks make spiritual decisions to follow Jesus because we said when you find out who the real Jesus really is, 
Um, the natural reaction is to want to lean into that and connect to Jesus in a powerful way. We've talked about Jesus as the bread of life. We've talked about Jesus as the light of the world. We've talked about Jesus as the gate. Pastor Ryan last week talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. And today we talk about Jesus as the resurrection and the life and perhaps one of the greatest stories in the entire New Testament. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to hang out today. If you don't have your Bible, our ushers have Bibles that you can use. They actually have Bibles that you can have. If you don't know where yours is, put your name in this one to keep it. We've given away more than 700. But we will read 44 verses today and refer back several times. So today's the day you want to have a Bible on your lap so you don't kind of get lost in the shuffle of Scripture. So fire up that tablet or phone, however you follow along. And today we read the story about one of Jesus' good friends, Lazarus. And I think today will be the most practical truth about Jesus that any of us ever learned. Because this, this message in John chapter 11 is going to hit a lot of us where we are spiritually. And I think it's going to be a refreshing challenge for how we view things spiritually as we learn about Jesus through the life and death and resurrection of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And here's what we read starting in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime won't stumble for the sea by the world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, but let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection to the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the light. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, you don't see it yet, but by the time we get done with our Bible study today, you're going to realize that there's some unbelievably transformational truth about the real Jesus and what we just read. And if you haven't already, I want you to take your Bible study notes out of the back of your bulletin so you can track with us today. Because when we talk about Jesus being the resurrection and the life, and when we break down John chapter 11 in what John, the author of this chapter, wants us to learn, we see some incredible things about this story of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. But you need to understand first, this story is a story about spiritual doubt. I mean, this is the theme of John chapter 11, verses 1 through 43. It's spiritual doubt. It's a questioning of Jesus. It's a questioning of his power. It's a questioning of his heart. It's a questioning of his concern. It's a questioning of his timing. It's a questioning of his supernatural ability. This, This story is a story about doubt. And this phrase, spiritual doubt, sounds like an oxymoron to someone who's so self-righteous that says, well, if you really love God, you can't ever doubt God. But for the rest of us, this phrase seems pretty right on. And especially to the people in this narrative, this phrase, spiritual doubt, summarized what was going on here. The people in John chapter 11 expressed a mixture of belief and disappointment at Jesus at the very same time. These were people who loved Jesus. These were people who believed in Jesus. These were people who had experienced Jesus do some transformational things in the lives of other people. But in this scenario, they're kind of disappointed that he didn't show up and they doubted why. I want you to look at John 11, 21. And we'll actually look at three different verses because three different groups of people, every major personality in the story, Martha, Mary, and the people that were there had this belief mixed with doubt about Jesus. In verse 21, when Martha finally came... Lord, she said to Jesus, if, you did, if, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She didn't say hi. She didn't say thanks for coming. She said, if you'd have gotten here earlier, you could have done something about this. Look at what her sister Mary said in verse 32. And you need to realize Mary, who loved Jesus so much that she anointed his feet with nearly a, a year's worth of perfume in cost and dried his feet with her hair was so angry at Jesus, she didn't even come out when he came. Her sister had to go back and get her and say, you need to come see Jesus because she was angry at him. And look at her question in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 37, the Jews who were there with with them watching said to one another, could not he have opened the the eyes of the blind man? Have kept this man from dying in John chapter 9. They'd seen Jesus help someone who was blind. And then they'd see him abandon his friend. You see people who love Jesus who were disappointed in Jesus. You see people who love Jesus who were beginning to wonder if Jesus had any supernatural ability left in his bag of tricks. And they'd experienced Jesus moving in the lives of others. But when it came to them, he had let them down. 
And I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you profess to believe in God's goodness, yet the scenario was one where he appeared to be absent. And you had a, you had a mixture of, man, I believe deeply in God, but I'm not quite sure where he was on this, on this one. Have you ever been with a friend or a sibling or a parent or a child at a divorce proceeding that's going final? And put your arm around them and told them it's going to be okay because you're praying for them? When wondering why God didn't show up to kind of keep it from happening in the first place, you had a mixture of belief that God's going to do something with an absence of him doing anything? Have you ever been with a friend who got laid off, who couldn't afford to get laid off? And you spoke belief into them and said, it's, it's going to be okay. God's going to be there. God's going to be there for you. God's going to do something. When the reality of the situation was that God appeared to be absent. Have you ever helped somebody pack up their house after it's been foreclosed on? So they can move to another apartment or home or so they could just get their stuff out before it was repossessed. And, and the whole time there you're talking about the goodness of God and God's plan for the future. Yet in the absence of their, in, in their reality, there's an absence of God. Have you ever stood beside a hospital bedside? For someone that you prayed God would heal. And they weren't being healed. And you had this belief. Mixed with an absence of an appearance of God showing up. Have you ever stood beside a casket at a funeral service? Gave someone a hug and said I'm praying for you. It's going to be okay. Yet in that moment it was not okay. This week in Kenya I was getting news filtered back from Kansas City. And. I saw the news of the two young gals at Olathe Northwest who took their life, and I immediately flashed back to a young girl in our youth ministry who I was her youth pastor many years previously had taken her life as a senior in high school. I thought about that week. I thought about the funeral plans. I thought about speaking to a 1,000 kids in an auditorium. It was like a whole school showed up to be a part of that service. And I, I remember believing the words that I said while experiencing the emptiness of what appeared to be an absence of God at that moment. We read in John chapter 11 a, a story about this belief mixed with the reality of doubt. It's, it's a pretty hard place to get to. And until Jesus makes a statement that he makes in, John or in verses 25 and 26, there's an absence of hope. There's an absence of encouragement. There's an absence of direction. But when Jesus opens his mouth in John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, he says something so profound that it changes the entire direction of the story. But it's, it's going to be a difficult statement to back up because as Jesus talked to Martha, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, this was the first prove it I am statement from Jesus. He had said, I am the bread of life. It was an analogy. He had said, I am the light of the world. It, you know, it was a great word picture. He had said, I am the gate, which the people understood. He had said, I am the good shepherd. Great spiritual analogy. But here he is standing outside the tomb of someone who's been dead four days. And he said, people who live by believing in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus was going to have to put his money where his mouth was this time. Because standing outside the tomb of a dead man, he had just said, people who live in me Believe and believe in me, don't die. And there was a disconnect. Jesus, Jesus was going to have to prove what he was saying now. And this was a story about where people were doubting. They believed, but it just it didn't appear like God was working in this scenario. So this story becomes about 
a belief that changes your outlook on life. Because something in this story has to change. It's either the reality of the story or it's our outlook on Jesus' promises. It's our outlook on what Jesus can do for us in life. So this is a story, if you read between the lines, that's all about affecting our belief in Jesus for the things in our life that we need Jesus to do for us. And it was critical at this time in Jesus' ministry to prove to his followers that he had power over death. Why? Because in a few days, he was going to be dead. But he wouldn't stay dead. And it was important to Jesus that in this three-day window of suffering, that the disciples had a memory to lean back on to say, just maybe, just maybe, if Jesus did this for Lazarus, just maybe he can come back to life. It would be the story of Lazarus that would give them belief in this difficult season of three days to let them continue moving forward in life. And some of you are in a difficult three-day season today. But it's not been three days. It's been three weeks. It's been three months. It's been three years. Some of you are in a season right now where Jesus feels dead to you. Some of you are in a season where every time you pray, none of those prayers seem to be answered and you feel like you're praying to a guy who is still in the tomb. Some of you are going through a season right now where God feels very absent in your awareness. And it's stories like this in the Bible that help remind us. And it's stories in our past where God has come through that help remind us that God will come through in our future. But this was a story about Jesus helping the disciples lean into a belief that would change their outlook on life, even in the most difficult seasons of their life. And if you're in a difficult season of your life today, Jesus wants you to lean into a belief in him. Look at verses, 11, or look at verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 11. Because three times in this chapter, Jesus said, all this is happening so, because I want people to believe differently. In verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Why? So you might believe. Underline those words. Jesus says, something's going to happen so radical in John chapter 11 that you're going to believe differently. And it's going to change your outlook on life. Look at verse 42. Similar thought. Jesus is praying. He's saying, God, I want you to help me. I know you're going to help me. And Jesus said in verse 42, I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me underlined that they may believe Jesus said all of this is happening so people will really lean into and believe in me look at verse 26 Jesus even followed his statement with his question whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this this is a story about belief that has the ability to change the outlook of your life and even John in writing his gospel his book about Jesus in John 20 31 said all these stories in the life of Jesus are written so that you may believe like the things in the Bible about Jesus are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name so the question we have to ask today is do you really believe in Jesus and all his promises for your life and I think we have two answers to that question those of us who have maybe been around Christianity for a while do you really believe in Jesus and all his promises for your life? I think we would kind of say yes and no, or yes and maybe, or hope so. Or we might be honest enough to say, you know, it's hard. Because my belief is mixed with doubts. Guess what, mine too. My belief is mixed with doubt too. Why? Because I'm human. 
And I've experienced in humanity at times an absence of what I want God to do. And sometimes it makes me doubt. But this is where we remember, number three, that this story, this story is about spiritual life. And this story is about eternal life. And Jesus' presence in our life is first about spiritual life and eternal life before it's about this life. But we have to believe in a way that changes our outlook on the promises of Jesus and the hope of Christianity. Last December, we did something we don't often do at our church. We, we did an altar call at our church. We, we don't often do those because we're in a school. It's difficult. I look forward to one day having our church where people have more time and place to just spend some time in private prayer. But I got done preaching a sermon last December, and I did an altar call just for, for people who just needed a touch from God in their life. And one of my good buddies came down in the second service and stood right there. His name was Ricky Hicks. And Ricky and his wife, Tina, who's here today, I'm sure you remember Tina, literally stood right there. And I went down the stage, and I was praying with some people, and I got to Rick and Tina and said, how can I pray for you? And Rick looked at me, and he, he was crying. And he said, Pastor, I, Pastor, I got cancer. He was crying, and Tina was crying. He'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And we prayed. I remember praying that day. And then later, he went to the doctor, and the prognosis was really good. He's got like just a few spots. Um, this is not going to be a huge deal. Cancer's always dangerous. We're going to be able to get this, and everything's going to be okay. I remember praying in the back with our, our prayer team and really claiming that this, this was going to be okay. We anointed him with oil, and everything was going to be okay. And then in January, Rick started treatment. And one day he had a blockage in one of his kidneys during treatment. RJ called me. I remember his son called me and said, hey, dad's in the hospital. I need you, need you to go pray. So I ran over to Lee Summit Medical Center. Um, got over to Lee Summit Medical Center. And when I went in Rick's room, he, he, had, um, he was already out of his bed. They were getting ready to discharge him. And he was sitting on the couch all by himself. Uh, and I walked in and he was sitting there reading his Bible. And uh, I'll never forget, I walked in and he said, hey, pastor. He's sitting there in his in his sweatpants, his slippers, still looks like a big, strong man. He's reading his Bible. I said, hey, Rick, how you feeling? And he told me what happened. He said, Pastor, God has given me a verse. God has given me a word about this that I want to share with you. I said, all right. And he opened his Bible to John chapter 11. And he took me to verse 4. And sitting there on that couch at least Summit Medical Center, he said, Pastor, here's what God has told me about this cancer. And he read to me, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He said, Pastor, God's spoken to me that this sickness is not going to end in death. But that God's going to use this to really show people how, how a godly man suffers through this stuff. I said, man, Rick, that, that's awesome. And we kind of held on to that verse. And two weeks later, the treatment just, it just turned terribly south. And I remember being called back up to the hospital and walking into his room. And hospice had been called in to basically live the final day of days of Rick's life. No, nothing, could, nothing could be done for him. And I remember being let down. Not as a pastor, but as a Christian. I remember being let down. I remember spending time praying with Tina and the boys. And I remember one day I got over to hospice care and Rick could still talk a little bit. And I was sitting with him alone in his room. And I was almost apologizing to Rick. That, that, that God hadn't come through on what he said. 
I don't know how to phrase it other than that. Like we were talking about this moment when God breathed into him, John 11, verse 4, and now it's mid-February, it's less than a month later, and, and, he, and he's, he's not going to make it. And I remember just kind of trying to say, man, I'm like, I'm sorry this didn't happen like God, like God told you it was going to happen. I'll never forget him saying, Pastor, hang on, Pastor. This sickness will not end in death. I'm either going to get healthy here or I'm going to get healthy in heaven, but I'm not going to die. And I remember this man with less than 100 hours to live reminding this Bible-teaching pastor that God's promises are about spiritual life and eternal life first. And so often, if God doesn't come through right now, we don't want God's spiritual blessings. We don't want God's eternal blessings. We want God's now blessings. And in this story, this is a story about people who were so focused on God's now blessings that they missed the spiritual and the eternal blessings of what Jesus was getting ready to do. But here's what you need to understand this morning. Here's what all of us need to understand. If we don't realize that all the promises of Jesus to us are only fully accomplished in eternity, then we'll lack faith. We might even lose faith when the events of this life let us down. This is where this pastor was sitting by the bedside of a friend. But a friend reminded me, Pastor, I'm not going to die. I mean, I'll never forget kind of the chastisement in his voice. Pastor, I'm not going to die. I'm either going to get healthy here or I'm going to get healthy in heaven. But I'm not going to die. Because God's promises are eternal. And they're spiritual. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This may be the most important seven verses that anyone in this room needs to ever hear because this church in Corinth struggled to understand why Jesus wasn't giving them everything now that they had asked for. And they had also struggled with the spiritual loss and the loss of life with some friends. And they couldn't understand why Jesus wasn't working like they wanted Jesus to work. But listen to what Paul said. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, if Jesus is not the resurrection, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people to be most pitied. If the only reason you follow Jesus is for what he can give you in this life, you're going to have a pitiful spiritual experience. Because the promises of Jesus are not all for here and for now. The promises of Jesus are spiritual. The promises of Jesus are eternal. And I want to repeat what I've just said that's listed on your sermon notes. If we don't realize that the promises of Jesus to us are only fully accomplished in eternity, then we'll lack faith. We might even lose faith when the events of this life let us down. However, if we see Jesus as the resurrection and the life, it will change everything. This is what Martha and Mary were getting ready to experience. Look at verses 23 through 27. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who's come into the world. Now, I don't know if you, if you saw this. I don't know if you paid attention carefully to this. But verses 25 and 26 have to be the most confusing question that Jesus ever asked anybody. Because Jesus just asked Martha, listen, Martha, do you believe that people who believe in me will never die? And he asked her that question outside the tomb of her brother, who'd been dead for four days, who believed very much in Jesus. If you notice, Martha didn't answer his question. Do you believe that people who believe in me will never die. She said, yes, I believe you're the Messiah. She basically, she basically, if you read the text carefully, said, well, I know that you're the Messiah. Hang on and let me get my sister. Like she does, she does not answer the question because she's got such belief in the words of Jesus with such doubt over what's the reality of her life at the moment that she's having trouble tying together the spiritual promises of God with the reality of her life. And it reminds me of one of my favorite verses in Scripture. In Mark chapter 9, we see Jesus and Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration where, where Jesus is glorified in, in all of his godliness. And then they come back down from the mountain and there's a boy who's been possessed by a demon and a desperate father who needs Jesus' help. And he comes to Jesus and says, If you can do anything, help me. And Jesus' answer is, If? Question mark. If? He said, what do you mean if? If you believe, all things are possible. And the dad gives one of my favorite lines in Scripture. In Mark 9, 24, immediately the father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you believe? Kind of. Sort of. I want to. Yes and no all at the same time. I I don't know. Jesus is like, do you believe my promises for you? And all of us have experienced enough bad life that we're like, sure, I I don't know. I want to. I don't know. Yes and no. I don't know. You know, I started September 1, 40 days of prayer for our church. Because we're moving into a phase of our church that's going to be a season of, of pushing and pressing. We're a little over three years old now. God's given us land that's paid off in offices. And we know now, we believe it's it's time now to get ready to, to build a building. And in January, we'll launch this Difference Makers campaign, a time to build, and we'll spend seven weeks talking about the building that we're going to try to build. And, it's, and, and it has been heavy. Just the project has been heavy. So I thought, I'm going to pray for 40 days before I talk to anyone about anything and just make sure God is speaking into my heart. This is the direction for the church. And every day, I, I named every one of the days of prayer in my journal with a name and with a verse. And the first day of prayer, September 1, was trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And the first day of prayer was, Lord, I trust you. Just show me what to do. The second day of prayer in my 40 days of prayer was named doubt. And I put Mark 9, 24. And I literally put and said, God, I know that yesterday I said I trusted you, but I just don't know if we can do this. Like, I know you can do this, but I don't think I can do this. And I don't know if we can do this. And God, I want to believe that this is our next step, but I don't believe this is our next step. And I'm not even sure how to pray, so thank you, amen. Like, it was like, 
I'm not even sure what's really happening here. We will, just after spring break as a church, launch 40 days of prayer together as a congregation. And we're going to teach people for six weeks how to pray according to the Lord's Prayer. It's going to be awesome how to keep a prayer journal. But we need to realize when we pray, and we need to realize the things that we pray for are spiritually and eternally true and always true. But sometimes in the confusing nature of this world that's marked by sin and cursed by sin and death, things don't always happen. So we have to focus on the spiritual and we have to focus on the eternal. And look what Jesus does after he asks this crazy question. Look what Jesus does. Because he literally changes the timetable of when eternal life is. He asked Martha in verse 23, do you believe your brother's going to rise again? And her answer was, I know that there'll be a resurrection in the last day. There, there was this thought in Judaism that this word last day, it was, it was the far off distant forever future that one day God was going to recreate everything. And one day God would do something. And maybe in the future people could trust God. It was this belief that at the end of time, God would reward all of his saints with resurrection life. But no one knew when it was or how it happened and if you could be for sure about it. So, so there was this belief in eternal life without a hope in eternal life. Because it was like, yeah, I, th- I think that's going to happen one day. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus literally moved the hope of eternal life from the future to the present. Jesus said, you don't have to think that one day down the road, God's hand will be upon you for eternity. You can know right now, if you have Jesus, you can know right now that you have eternal life. Because here's the fact. Here's the spiritual fact. You don't get eternal life at some point in the distant future. You have eternal life right now if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. You have it. You are eternal. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are eternal, you are immortal, not later, now. That's why it's easy to go to Africa and trust God. Because I believe that I'm eternal right now. Now, this this body will cease to exist on planet Earth. Everyone who came before me has, everyone who comes after me will. But I actually pre-recorded this sermon. The Tuesday before I left, I spoke into a sermon and preached this entire sermon And I said on there, now the only reason they're going to use this is for God forbid our travelers late or somehow we we die over in Kenya. But you need to know, if I have physically died, I am spiritually alive because I have Jesus in my life. You see, if you have Jesus, you don't get eternal life. You have eternal life right now. And it's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8 that we're confident. We'd really prefer to be away from the body. Paul said, I'd rather be dead so I could be with Jesus. We are confident, I say, would prefer to be away from the body to be at home with the Lord. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, God said, I've planted this thought of eternity in the hearts of men so they'll seek out Jesus. Solomon said he's made everything beautiful in his time and he set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's why we like Superman. We want to be like him. We want to be men of steel. We, we want to be immortal. We don't, we don't want to die. It's why we like the superheroes. It's why those great stories connect with us because God has put something in us that wants to live forever, so we'll seek out the answer of how to live forever. So this morning we have to ask the question, do you have eternal life? Do you want eternal life?
Do you want to exist and live in a place one day where every spiritual promise of God to you is ultimately and absolutely and fully accomplished? If the answer is yes, you have to say yes to Jesus. Because if you have Jesus, you have the resurrection and the life. And if your friends have Jesus, they have the resurrection and the life and they're eternal. It's why we're doing Friend Day on December 7th. It's why we're passing out cards to give to people on December 7th. Because we want everyone we know to have eternal life deep within them. We want people to know Jesus. And we want them to at least have the opportunity to say yes or no. Because when people have Jesus, they have the resurrection and the life. And what happens when we have Jesus? Look at verses 43 and 44. Some pretty powerful truth here. After he prayed, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Some of you need to take off the grave clothes. You've given your life to Jesus, but you still wear all the discouragement and depression. You've given your life to Jesus, but you're still wearing your your sin and a little bit of your rebellion. You've given your heart to Jesus, but you are not wearing love and joy and peace and patience and the fruits of the Spirit. Some of you have given your life to Jesus, but you're walking around like dead people spiritually. And it's time to take off the grave clothes and live. Because if you have Jesus, you have everything. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will live. They'll really live their life. And they'll never die. Physically, that's going to happen. Spiritually, you have the ability to live forever with God where he is and where Jesus is if you place your faith in Jesus. Have you done that today? If not, why not? And if you have and you're still walking around in grave clothes, it's time to take off the old self and start walking with Jesus. Let's pray together.